I'd like to read from uh, a little story from Hank the Cow Dog. Hank the Cow Dog is a children's book that parents get to read with their children because there's a lesson for the children and there's the lesson for the parents. The stories are told from the perspective of Hank. He's a ranch dog and he, he sees the whole world as though he's in charge of it. Here's an example. I'll be using my uh, ranch accent uh, for effect. <clears throat> Ordinarily, I take a, a great pride in being the first one up at the ranch, uh, don't you know. For one thing, I like to get a head start on everybody else. For another, I'm never completely confident that the sun is going to come up without me being there to supervise it. You want to know why I don't trust the sun? Simple logic. The sun is round, right? It's a ball. And if you ever observed the sunrise, you notice that the sun is moving from the bottom of the sky to the top of the sky. In other words, this ball, which we call the sun, is rolling uphill. And so it ain't natural for a ball, any ball, to roll uphill. In fact, it's impossible. Balls do not roll uphill unless, of course, they're urged along by some extraordinary outside force. Now, I wouldn't want to just come right out and say that I happen to be that extraordinary outside force which barks the sun up into the sky every day so the world is not in blackness enveloped all over. On the other hand, I can't name anybody else in this outfit that's doing it, and it's cold, hard logic that singles me out as the bringer of light and the creator of days. I know a guy shouldn't be tooting his own horn, so to speak, but if you want to say that I'm the one that causes the sun to rise every day, I guess it's okay to say that because it's true. <laughs> That's Hank the Cow Dog. I'm afraid to say we probably all have a little bit of Hank the Cow Dog in us, <clears throat> thinking we're in control of things that we're not in control of. We're going to look at Jacob's life again today. We're, I'll, tell you, I'll give you a quick summary of how, uh, where we are in the storyline, but we're going to see that Jacob expresses this cow dog-like attitude in life, and, and why wouldn't he? He's an exceptionally talented individual. There's almost nothing he can't do. The first description of Jacob as an adult is found in Genesis 25, and it says that he is a complete man, a man of the tents. And in the Hebrew context of what complete man or quiet man means, it means that he is intellectually and physically able to do whatever. He is an exceptionally gifted human being. He's smart and he's witty and he's clever. He's resourceful. He understands things quick and deeply. It also means that he is physically able to do many things. He's a great athlete, athlete and he's strong. Jacob is, has everything going for him, and all of these attributes and gifts are gifts from God. And you would hope that he would use those gifts to glorify God, but he does not. He uses his completeness to seek out and grab all the things that he wants in life. He manipulates and connives circumstances so that it all ends well with him. What he wants, he goes after and he gets it. In the book that we're reading together called With, they describe this living over God this way. God simply has no bearing in one's daily existence. And the fears and the uncertainties that mark the human experience are dealt with in the same way, seeking control. And life over God is like that. There's a significant absence of prayer in a person that's a cow dog. I mean, an absence of desperate prayer, prayer that is dependent upon the sovereignty of God. Jacob is a self-made man because he can be. 
the more talents and attributes and skills you have, the more likely you are to be like Jacob, the cow dog. Is there a problem? Yeah. Then there's a solution, a plan, and a program. All you have to do is implement that. Jacob, the cow dog. The world is his. In the early stories, we look at Jacob. His name actually means deceiver. And so he takes that on and he begs or he, he, he lies and cheats and steals from his father and his brother a blessing. And the blessing was already his and he stole it anyway. And it could have been a spectacular story of trusting God and living with God and a God story with a miracle attached to it, but it was not. It was a Jacob story. It was a story of, of, of a cow dog grabbing a bone that was already his and running. And now he's running for his life with his tail under his legs, and he runs to a place called Bethel where he meets Yahweh. And in that experience, Yahweh promises him that he would never, ever leave him that he would provide for him in ways that are grand and extensive and that he would protect him and keep him safe. And after that experience with God, with those promises at Bethel, he goes and meets his uncle Laban. Now Laban is the instrument that God is going to use to help Jacob become holy, to help Jacob become like Christ in all of life. And how is that going to happen? Laban is Jacob just more advanced. He's better at it. He's been on this road for a longer period of time. And if Jacob doesn't repent, he will become this monster. He will sing the song, mirror, mirror on the wall. I've become my uncle after all. <laughs> and Laban lies and cheats and steals against Jacob so that he could get rid of both of his daughters at the one time and that he would obligate this complete man, this extremely gifted man, he would obligate him to work for him for 14 years. <laughs> Jacob just got Jacobed by Laban. Where we pick up the story now, <clears throat> excuse me, Jacob has been working 14 years and he's broke. He still doesn't have anything to show for it because Laban keeps cheating him. And so now he just wants to go home, take his wives and kids and go home. And so he, he talks to J uh, Laban about it, and Jacob says to him, you know, you, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock have fared so well under my care. There was a little before I came, and now it's increased greatly, and Yahweh has blessed you uh, wherever I, I've been. So now, uh, what may I do, what could I do something for my own household? Can I make some money any other way? And Laban says, that sounds great. Would you like to work salary? And Jacob says, no, we've done that. And I'm broke because of it. You've cheated me, later he'll say, you've cheated me 10 times. So Jacob proposes this. He says, look, I want to work commission. And here's how we'll start. Here's my base. We'll go out into the flock, and uh, goats, goats are solid-colored animals. If there's any striped or spotted goats, those will be mine. And sheep, they're white. I'm a black sheep. I'll take all the black sheep. It's a recessive gene. There's not very many black sheep that they're going to be there. There's, there's not very many spotted or striped goats. I'll take those. In addition to that, from now on, all the future black sheep and all the incoming future striped and spotted goats, they'll be mine as well. So the idea here is the odds are so un, 
unusual and against Jacob that Laban says, that's your proposal on working commission? I'm in. Now, watch and learn. Here's what it says. Uh, there's the response to that. Agreed, say Laban. said, let it be as you said. That same day, he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled and spotted female goats and all of the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons, and then he shipped them. Then he put them in a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's sheep. Did you see what happened? While Jacob is negotiating the deal with Laban, okay, the sons are going through the flock and culling out everything that was going to be Jacob's, the black sheep and the spotted goats. And they, they come three days away. And now, not, not only is he taking the base salary away from Jacob, here's the bigger problem. These are all recessive genes. And Jacob was going to use the black sheep and the spotted goats and striped goats to breed his future income stream. And now they're gone. And so when he goes out to that to his flock that he'd been working for quite some time, expecting to see what he left just not long ago before the negotiations, and all he sees is white sheep and solid goats. It crushes him. It finally breaks him. He just got Jacobed again, and he falls to his knees, and he prays this desperate prayer of faith, and he calls upon Yahweh, the God of Bethel, who promised me great provisions and excessive income. And he said, I will live for you now. That does not happen. He, does he is not broken at all. He sees what happens, and he says, you know what? I'm Jacob, and I'm the complete man, and I will use my wisdom and my strength, and I will make this work. I don't need help from God. I know breeding techniques. There's no reason to pray about this in a, in a seeking way of putting the injustice that I've endured before the throne of the righteousness of God. I've got this. And so hard work, plain logic, you know, just plain logic, don't you know? That's going to get Jacob what he wants because he is Jacob the cow dog. Here's what he does. He gathers two or three different dark woods, uh, branches from dark trees, and then, he, and then he skins the bark off of them just every once in a while, right? So, so he has these limbs that are striped, black and white or dark brown and white, back and forth. And then he would put these striped limbs in, in the water troughs for the for the sheep to look at and the goats to look at, the females would come to the water hole, and that's apparently where the mating takes place. And when there was a strong female looking at the striped twigs while she's drinking, he would grab a strong male and have it mount the female, and they'll do their thing. And then they would produce black sheep and striped goats. And you're probably wondering, you know, why does this work and how does this work? It's science. <clears throat> and I'm going to use small words to help you understand. During the conception of certain mammals, whatever that mammal is looking at when conception takes place will cause those colors to show up in the hide of it. It's science, don't you know? Yeah, These are, this is cold, hard logic. This is how this works. And, and so that's how you end up with striped and spotted goats. 
and black sheep. If, if, if there was a runt, uh, Jacob just let them do whatever they're going to do, and that became Laban's uh, set of sheep or goats. But if there was a strong females, they'd, he'd make sure that they were with a strong male, but he'd get those twigs, get those. They got to see the right thing during that conception. And after six years, which is the full cycle of a rotation of a herd life expectancy, Laban's flock is full of lame and runt sheep and goats. And, and Jacob, oh, he's got a lot to show for his hard work and intelligence. Look what it says. In, in this way, Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own his own large flock and, and females and male servants and camels and donkeys. <laughs> Man, Jacob the cow dog, you know, it's working. Cold, hard logic, willing to work that extra mile, and look what he has to show for it. Look at all this wealth. I mean, that's like, you know, when you wash your car so it'll rain, or you bark at the sun so that it'll roll up the sky, that kind of thing. It's then one day, he's, he's celebrating, he finally got the best of, of Laban, right? He's outsmarted him, and he's outworked him. And he's celebrating, you know, his completeness, and then this happens. In, in breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and I saw the male goats mating with the flock were streaked and speckled and spotted. And the angel of the Lord came to me and said, Jacob, and I answered, well, here I am. And then he said, look up and see that all of the male goats that are mating with the flock are streaked and speckled and spotted. For I have seen what Laban has been doing, all that Laban's been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar where you made a vow to me, where I promised you prosperity. It, it turns out that Jacob was not causing the sun to rise. It turns out that God reveals that even the goats that were solid colors, inside they were speckled or striped or spotted. And even the sheep that were white on the outside, he could see in this vision they were really black sheep because it turns out that God was fulfilling the promise that he made to Jacob in Bethel, that he would be prosperous and God would bless him. He didn't have to be a cow dog. He didn't have to play these silly games. They wasn't the branches. And so he, he realizes that he'd been putting so much hope in his wisdom and, and faith in his strength so that he could put more hope in his, in his wealth. God shows up and says, you're a fool. He says this, Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus Yahweh says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man boast in his might. Don't let the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in, that, in this. That he understands and knows me. Right? He's with me. That I am Yahweh who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight in, declares Yahweh. I saw all the injustice that you've experienced under Laban. I'm on this. Let's do this together. It was a tragic loss of opportunity again. Well, what is it? What is a cow dog? What is a cow dog? Cow dog is a person that has a certain amount of wisdom. I mean, we're in a room full of wise people, but they hope in their wisdom. It's a person that has great physical attributes, 
we're in a room full of that too. And they hope in those physical attributes. It's a person that has wealth, and that's where they put their hope. Hope is the key word of today's talk, time together. He or she thinks in, in formulas. A, a, a cow dog is a person that their hope is in the formula itself, that they have to find the right formula and then check the boxes on the formula. Life is like a cookbook, okay? You, you've got to just find the right recipe and a hope in that recipe and make sure you follow those directions so you can get it right. And then it just works. And the more complete you are, the more talent you have and attributes, the more consistent you, your, your results will be. Here's, a, here's, here's a, kind of another variable here. The more important the issue, the thing that you need or desire or hope for, the more important that is, the greater the commitment is to making sure you pick the right plan. Okay, the, the, the greater the dedication is to find the right recipe and don't make a mistake with that recipe. Let me give you a couple, two examples of things that are expensive or lofty or high. And so we, we, these things, in my experience, tend to ex uh, bring out uh, the idea of trying to be a cow dog, trying to be in control, putting hope. There's the key word again, putting hope in something besides knowing and enjoying and understanding the Lord. One is your education, or even more so, just to turbocharge it, the education of your children. People, that's, a, that's an important thing. It's a very important thing. And so when, when parents, the, the children are starting to go to school, they, they have this huge set of options in front of them, uh, homeschool or the various private schools with a different curriculum, and, and then public schooling. So those are the choices, but that's not what I'm talking about today. That's not the choice. The choice is whether you're going to put hope in those educational opportunities. That's what matters. And what I have seen time after time after time is parents will choose one of these, two out of the three especially, and they will put their faith in that. That's what will make sure that my child is successful. That's what's going to get them through life safely. So it's, I find that uh, some homeschoolers believe that, and private schoolers will find it that perfect private school with that curriculum, and that's where they'll put their hope. Still haven't found anybody in public school hoping much would happen good. <laughs> anyway, so... But the, the idea is the parent is saying, if I can find that curriculum... If I could find the best teacher, maybe it's me, maybe it's someone else, and we can, we can arrange things so that, you know, just using logic and all, you know, our kids will be safe, and they're going to turn out okay, and they're going to go to the right colleges. Let me just say this again, because some of you are, might be defensive, and you think I'm talking against homeschooling and private schooling. I am not. I am talking against hoping and putting faith in that as a means of transforming a human soul. <laughs> There's no curriculum that can do that. The human soul is entirely too complicated. You can't have a formula for a human soul. And if you put faith there, I've seen the more faith you put into that, the more hope you put into that as your answer, the more troublesome it becomes later on. You see how 
it's not the thing, it's where you put your faith or your hope. Another one is like church growth and, and church, church in general. You know, I, I guess I, I go to that because, you know, I'm surrounded by it all the time. But, you know, it's not hard to find churches that they have hope in their management style. They have hope in their marketing. And, and the things that they've learned, we've, we go, we ask the people what they want, we give it to them, you know, professional you know, excellence, and then do whatever the last church growth seminar says to do, and we hope in that. Isn't the church and spiritual growth significantly more sophisticated than a recipe? I would hope so. So it's not those things. I mean, I'm not against management. I'm not against good accounting. It's the hope in those things. There's so much cost of being a cow dog. I mean, think about Hank, you know, whether the sun comes up, rests on his shoulders. And so whether it, you know, making sure that interview goes well or you have a good income or that your house is a Norman Rockwell painting, that's on you. That's your responsibility. You have to make sure that you find the right you know, weight of making sure that works, and you have to make sure you do it right. And so the ground or the, the cow dog is a person that deals with worry and anxiety and enormous amounts of stress and sometimes anger because this is what it takes to control things. Do you think this is what God would have for us in our lives? Absolutely not. This is not the easy yoke that he speaks of. This is not the abundant life that he invites us to be part of. Jesus says, I want you to live a life that's an adventure, that's exciting, that's filled with faith actions. You know, let's go do scary things together. In everyday affairs, the Lord wants us to express our gifts, you know, right, the, our completeness, but not have faith in that, but to enjoy him being involved in our daily lives by living by faith. Why do, we, why do we choose to be cow dogs? Why would we even go that route in light of how much it costs and we could be doing this with the Lord? Here's why. Fear. We are afraid. We are afraid that we might not get that thing we want, and so we do what we have to do to make that happen. We're afraid that uh, we might lose control of the outcome that is needed. And so we just... We just do what we have to do. In the life of Jacob, he was afraid he'd miss out on, on provisions and income. Even though God has promised him, he's going to take things into his own hand. He's not going to pray about this sort of thing. He's not going to depend on the Lord. He's just going to put striped sticks in a puddle. It, what happens is, Without saying it out loud, we become like Christ in some of our life. Or let's just round up. We become like Christ in most of our life. But there's this one part. There's just too much at risk. And so we say, okay. And when we start losing control, we realize maybe we need to grease the wheels a little more. Maybe we should make some phone calls. We should flatter someone. We should threaten someone. We will do what we have to do. But friends, it's just, it's running against the wind. It is not the way we were designed. It is not what we should be hoping for. Because the alternative is this, that we would put our hope in the Lord, that we would trust in the sovereignty of God, 
and maybe miss one of these things. And that would be okay. We might not get that job. The kids might not be able to go to that school. We might have not have the bank balance that we had hoped for. And so we have to choose whether we're going to give up some of these things that we desire so that we can enjoy being with God and the benefits and the fruits of that. God wants us to, you know, the alternative that we have, is there an alternative? Yeah, the alternative is to work with God. It's throughout the Bible. The first story, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to do work, to do work with God. Daily stuff, trusting God for daily things. Throughout the Bible, there's stories of heroes, of saints that are spectacularly blessed by God. And if you look and listen carefully, they have these deeply dependent prayers, desperate prayers on God's intervention in their regular lives. Uh, men like uh, his grandson, Joseph, and, and David, and Daniel, and Nehemiah, these are all men that are complete. If you look at their background, they are very gifted by God, generously gifted by God, but they use those gifts. They don't put hope in those gifts not in their wisdom, not in their strength, not in their wealth. They put their hope in the Lord, and their everyday prayer life shows that. And, and here's what they get out of it. Here's the upside. Here's the return on investment for living with God. You have God memories. You have, you have memories of being with God in your fear. While you're living in, 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 the, in the day-to-day life, you can feel the presence of God, the Father, if, you, if I could tell you story after story, if, what are your fondest memories growing up? I would say most of them have to do with doing things with my father. Whether it was painting a fence or trying to fix a car or mowing a lawn, I wasn't much help, but I was with him. The father wants to be with us. And if you're willing to release control for the personal expression of the presence of God, you'll be glad you did because it's worth it. The other thing that you, you get if you choose to live a life, you know, um, become like Christ in all of life, is you have these stories, these, these God stories, because you're praying dependent prayers. You're praying prayers that say, okay, I've been with you, God, so how are you going to get yourself out of this? I've been following your good and perfect will, and look where I am now. Cow dogs, they don't have any God stories. Cow dogs don't tell you about how close they are with the Lord. They don't know him because they think they don't need him. What does God want from us? What does God expect from, what does it mean to live by faith? This is kind of crude. I just thought, let's just get it down to the vocabulary we understand. So forgive me for that. It's the word, the, the phrase is due diligence. Came around in the 15th century. It wasn't legal originally, but it, it became that way. It meant requisite effort. This is what's required of you. And then eventually it became a legal term uh, in, in our experience, and a synonym would be ordinary care. Requisite effort, ordinary care. Okay. It's do your very best. Don't trust in your very best. Do all the things that a reasonable person, a reasonable God would expect you to do. Not more. Not more. And then leave the results to him. Francis Schaeffer is an old scholar, best-selling writer, he wrote a book on, called True Spirituality. He called this active pacifism. You do everything you can do. You know, push yourself. 
Sometimes 80-hour work weeks are required. But then, that's the active part. But passive was you need to rest. You did all you could do. Relax. This is way above your pay grade. The sovereignty part is not for you to run the world and cause suns to rise. So just that's the passive part, resting in that. So sure, have a plan A and B and C, but don't have hope in the plan. Be enjoying the very presence of God. And I think most of us, we should know when we've crossed the line in doing due diligence and stepping over and howling like a cow dog, right? We know when we start flattering or threatening or find ourselves busy. So, yeah, right. For safety's sake, lock your front door. If you have a house alarm, by all means, don't trust in that. Your trust is in the Lord. Want a good marriage? Absolutely. Read the books. Go to the seminars. Get a, a wise counselor. But two human souls interacting, overlapping, those, those formulas and recipes have no power to change. Only God's grace transforms. So desperate prayers for God's intervention to change our selfish souls, there's your hope. Here's, our, here's how our school choice thing Here's, here's how school choice, I think it goes like this. You come and you say, what, what are we supposed to do? The answer is, how much have you talked to God about this? How much have you prayed? I don't, it doesn't matter what your friends are doing, what other people are doing. What does the Lord say you should do for each one of these children? So the goal is to have a relationship with God so that you can hear the tender voice, that, uh, that you could transform your mind by the power of the Word of God, so that you would know the good and perfect will. And you could apply this to your children. It is, it's, the will of God is a relational will where you're connected to Him so that you would know what you should be doing with some amount of confidence. If, you're, if your goal is to be in the presence of God and to never cow dog, boy, you're going to have some great stories. The way it kind of filtered its way into our life is we did hundreds of hours of research. We interviewed we, at different schools and different people, and we felt like the Lord was telling us to public school our kids. It was kind of negotiated, you know, uh, throughout the, the seasons, but it, it didn't mean that the, we weren't living in fear and panic. We're at. We, had, we prayed these desperate prayers, like probably most of you do if you have children. I want, we pray that this child get you know, this teacher found them every year. This, this child needs this teacher. This child needs this. This is what we need to pray about. And we would pray about God's sovereignty, working it out so that this guy, this girl would go with these parents. And, and while we did this every year, every year I would like do a little howl and say, but what if? So here's the thing. So there's a lot of people that like my wife because she's nice. And she's told me if I were nice, people would like me too. But... <laughs> That's a lot of work. Uh, but she, she, knew, she always knew a lot of people in the schools because she was part of this uh, school prayer thing, and, and they, would, they would ask the faculty and staff if they could pray for them specifically. They would bring up treats, and she was always involved in those sorts of things. And, and so the point is, she, she, people owed her favors. Okay. And so we would do the due diligence thing, and then I would say, so... You could call someone and say it'd be really good if, and each time she's like, down, boy, down. We're not going to contaminate all the ministry going on so we could have a favor called. 
if they call us and ask, you pray that they call us and ask, who do you want for your son to have in fifth grade? We'll answer that. That'll be a God thing. And I, there was this one teacher in, in high school that people told us, if, you, if your kids have this teacher, there's no way it's not going to affect their GPA adversely for their entire high school career. There's never been a single valedictorian that had this teacher because he won't give out high grades. He's just opposed to it. And so you'd better not, you better make sure your, your kids don't get this. This is where I was like full cow dog. We got to make some calls now. Come on, give me the phone. <laughs> Hi, this is Melinda's husband. You owe her some favors. Uh, so we, we just, again, down boy. So we prayed for our, ter- for our first two kids, please don't get this person. And they didn't. We didn't pray for our third because she couldn't even have this particular teacher. She was in the wrong kind of system. So here's how it ended. Here's, here's what happened. Uh, they changed the schedules, and our third child did have this man. <laughs> and she was not the valedictorian, just like they said. And it turns out none of our children are valedictorians. <laughs> so, and, I, and then I started thinking this whole week, I was saying, has there ever been an Irish valedictorian ever? <laughs> like even at Notre Dame, they probably give it, uh, someone else is the valedictorian. Because the Irish... We have life skills that are effective outside the classroom, right? So I'm not saying, I don't know what happened, but it might not have been the teacher. I'm just, so here's what happened. We didn't cross the line. We lived almost entirely our school days and never became cow dogs. And here's, we just trusted in the sovereign guiding hand of Jehovah. Yahweh God. And friends, I want, to know, I want you to know that the feeling of his presence in those decisions and then the consequences of those decisions, the feeling of his presence and knowing with confidence that we were raising these three children with God instead of cow-dogging it and getting what we wanted. There's, I don't want what I could have had or wanted in, if I'd have gone cow-dog. It wasn't worth it. The knowledge and the confidence of being with God in the most desperately important thing in our lives, that's what we got with God. We didn't work a plan. We didn't have a formula. We weren't checking boxes. We just wanted to be near him. Don't be a cow dog. It costs too much, and you can't afford it. That's the point of communion, by the way. Jesus saying with. Communion, it means commune. It means let's all do this together. And the communion meal itself, the communion meal itself is let's share the presence of Jesus in the fears of life. Right? Because the, the communion is, is the Passover and and the people during the Passover were afraid. And the people were screaming and crying because the firstborns were, were dying. And, and, every, and there's blood on the door and all those sorts of things. And he's saying, everybody, you know, wear your tennis shoes, get ready to run, and let's have this last meal together. Let's enjoy this fear together. And in the, in the uh, you guys can go ahead and start passing out. And then even in the... Uh, the Last Supper, the Lord's Table, where he takes the Passover and makes it a new covenant. Think of that. They're afraid. It's just moments before Jesus will be crucified. 
And he said, let's enjoy each other's presence. Let's live through the fear together. 